Hello, gentle listener. Uh, it's me, Ed Fortune, and you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com, and we are the Bookworm in association with Starburst Magazine. Say hello, producer Al. Hello, producer Al. So, uh, come on. Oh, come on, that was funny. Oh, it is. It's very funny. And, um. So, um, coming up next. Uh, oh, oh, also, uh, I'm here with my co-host, Ninfa Hayes. Hello, everyone. So, coming up on the show today, I will be taking a look at the book called The Guns of Ivria by Clifford Beale, which is a swashbuckling pi- piratey adventure. And I will be looking at the graphic novel for Jam and the Hulgrims. <laughs> and our interview will be J.R. Hammerstein. Hammerstein. You got it. You got it right during the interview. Did I? Yeah, it's, it's right on the tape when we get to it. That's fine. He's a lovely chap. Uh, but coming up next, we have the book news. So the first piece of news I'm going to go into uh, is to say hello to Nina Douglas, who's joined uh, Barrington Stoke. She um, has moved across from Children's Books with Orion to work for uh, Barrington Stoke. Super readable, book, super readable books for children, specialising in cracking reading. They uh, sound like they should be an estate agent. I, I hate to be harsh. Um, oh, they do fantastic stuff, do Barrington Stoke. But uh, Nina's been uh, a great supporter of the show over the years, um, and she sent us all sorts of amazing stuff and. Um, um, long may that continue. Uh, basically, she's a really good PR agent, and it's a bit of news that she's moved across to a to Barrington Stoke, who Ooh. are all really good children's publishers. So that's Yay. kind of interesting. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit book newsy though, in a kind of publisher kind of kind of thing. Lovely, shall we, darling, move on. It's a little bit, darling. Shall we? Shall we talk about the thing that everyone's talking about? Which particular thing? My uh, face. No. <laughs> I mean, everyone is talking about your face. That no, is true, no, no, but um, let's talk about Cassandra Clare. Oh yes, let's let's, <laughs> let's talk. Heavy about. sigh. So, if you haven't heard, uh, Cassandra Clare is uh, in the middle of a lawsuit with Cheryl Sher- Kenyon uh, in regards to copyright infringement. Um, uh, Cassandra Clare's lawyers have hit back, saying that the in the the, the case is filled with basic factual inaccuracies. Does anyone want to summarise the, um, the 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 whole thing for those who basically um, what the um, Canyon, what Sharon Canyon's lawyers are saying is that um, when Cassandra Clare's series was sort of coming out, they had to have a chat with their publishers because a lot of the um, sort of storylines seemed really similar to what. Um, to what the the, the Sherilyn Cairn series um, was. Now, the fact that these similarities are just complete vague tropes that are used in most urban fantasy 
everywhere in the world may or may not sway you, dear listener, um, into believing whether, you know, there is, in fact, a, a copyright infringement. Uh, so some of the things were the fact that they had a similar symbol um, on the covers um, where there's, there's a shadow hunter's runes um, that are used um, and runes are a big sort of theme in the um, Cassandra Club. Basically, um, one person who one person who peddles stories about a remarkable young person that no one likes, um, who suddenly has supernatural powers and then is hunted by a shadowy organisation, is being sued by someone else who writes stories about. Uh, a remarkable young person who suddenly develops supernatural powers and is being hunted it's, by it's a shadowy It's the most side-serving of some fairly specific terms which Kenyon has managed to trademark somehow. Oh, she's uh, trying to claim the, the She's trying to on. claim that they're trademarked, but um, being an avid reader of both young adult and urban fantasy, I can tell you that if she wanted to go down that way, there's about another 15 authors that use very similar sort of terms that include the word dark, shadow and hunters. It, this, this does, uh, I hate to say, this does appear to be uh, uh, all on a hiding to nothing. It's, it's a bit like, you know, someone saying, it's, it's a bit like, say J.R. Tolkien suddenly rose from the dead and going oi all these fantasy novels about a bunch of a bunch of adventurers who go across some hills to destroy a magical item and some of them have pointy ears and you know call themselves oi C.S. Lewis get off my land yeah exactly it's it it seems to us do we we believe this thing about one publisher had a conversation with another publisher about people that sounds like complete nonsense I very much doubt it because like I said you know if, if a publisher came to me and I I'm publishing someone else and they went oh but you know my writer's written something similar uh, I would look at the catalogue that's out right now in you know any bookstores and go yes her and about a million other people you're not even the first and the thing I is can, I can what, see what, that what conversation we happening in a bar or over drinks in a kind of oh is your guy doing uh, is your is your lady doing this yes my guy's doing that we're doing we're doing but, a very similar we know idea. we know from from workshops that we've been at with authors and publishers and, and other people in the industry that the book publishing world goes through cycles you know oh God, yeah, so absolutely. it's the sparkly vampire thing isn't it yeah. you know five years ago you couldn't move on YA shelves for the books literally with sodding glitter on the front cover oh, yeah. for which I flipping carpet has still not recovered Cassandra Clare Peddles specifically in familiarity. She has created a series, uh, and this is where maybe Nympha possibly goes for my throat finally, but she has created a series of books that are very similar to each other. So her first series is very similar to the next series. Yes. It's very similar to the, the yes, other series. very much so. And that's exactly what the market wants, and it's exactly what the publishers want, and it's exactly what I don't want, which is why I keep coming at you with flipping weird books. Um... But you know, some but, people. But that's the I point, like... isn't it? You know, if you, if you like, if you liked this book by Agatha Christie, you're also going to like this other book by Agatha Christie, yeah. because it also involves. Well, there, there is a certain killing, killing people in, in some sort of weird way. Of George R. R. Martin, There's a certain comfort in tropes, and if the trope is doing well, then it creates a nice, easy book that you know you're going to buy, sit down, read, and enjoy because it follows certain sort of predetermined lines. Um, but the thing is, 
um, if you're going to sue someone for using the same tropes that people have been using for the last 200 years in publishing, then maybe you should rethink what you're writing because at the same time, someone else could come to you and, well, you're using it as well and I used it before you. Like, I mean, Laura K. Hamilton's been writing, you know, oh, look, I'm an investigator in this supernatural community and I sort of have, I have special powers that are growing and I had no idea how big these powers are and there's this shadowy supernatural organisation uh, that mainly want to kill me or shag me or so, can I say shag me on the radio? Well, yes. you just have well <laughs> twice um, or you know or want to share in the power that I'm gaining because I'm, I'm you know becoming such a powerful individual wait a second isn't that the same trope isn't that Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly so you know why isn't Laurel K. Hamilton suing and, Cheryl and, Kenyon as, as we've already established there is no copyright in an idea there is copyright in a very specific formulation and realisation of an idea so if you at this point came up with the story of a young blonde haired teenage girl in high school somewhere in the western part of the United States who goes around staking vampires at night when she should be doing homework and she's got a Scooby gang then you're in trouble with Josh Riggins. absolutely I would be you know in, I would be interested to talk to a rights lawyer and find out more about rights trolling the idea that you can trademark trolling the idea where you're trying to grab an idea it's, it's very I don't know I've, I've, I've been on a course about this Ooh. yeah um, and uh, the the format rights thing is currently well I say currently it has been for 50 odd years that, but it is currently very much the hot thing in media mm. um, and this whole thing of copyright does not exist in idea uh, but you can be very specific realisation of it does have the copyright is where a lot of the, the legal arguments turn so I'm guessing with this case that you know it's the, the the case they're trying to mount is use of specific terms and very similar ideas, but it's got to be it's got to be so similar as to be. But the thing is, one on. is the dark yes. hunters, the other are shadow hunters. Yeah. Okay, they've used different words, and as similar as the organisations can be, I actually don't think that that similar. Specifically, because Cassandra Clare's books are more of a young adult sort of orientation, while Cheryl Kenyon's very much adult because there is a lot of sexual content so already you're sort of diverging from each other because you're you're you know you can't you can't say that you'll open one book and you'll open the other and you'll find paragraphs that have been literally just transposed it's not what it is i, I, it, I don't see it they're, they're similar products they're not the same no shall we move on let's move on yeah. um so dk uh, the, who are a division of uh, Random Penguin uh, have launched a <laughs> series <laughs> of uh, Braille books for children oh. uh, which is right the DK Braille series is the first of its kind for the publisher uh, it's created a range of non-fiction titles ranging from board books to books for independent readers um, so everything all points west um, you know kids books kids fantasy books as well all coming along on Pen Penguin Random House that's marvellous more of that please and while you're at it can we have some more audiobooks please mm. can, can we have more audiobooks for especially uh, genre or, or authors they are you know I, and I know there's a whole thing when it comes to uh, organisations like the RNIB and they've only got a limited budget but do you know what there is a massive demand for more audiobooks more audio 
audiobooks, please, and obviously more audiobooks as well. Um, talking about the, the blind leading the blind, Amazon could open 400 physical stores in the US. Uh, oh, the irony. The thing is... My, my irony meter has exploded. <laughs> no, that's useful. Um, so is my sarcasm meter, damn it. Um... The thing is, this is what I recommend. If you live near a place where an Amazon bookstore opens, go to the Amazon bookstore. See how much it is. See how much it is. Then go and order it on Waterstones. And then go and then go and order it on Waterstones, or order it directly from the publisher. Just just order it online, but not via Amazon. I think that's fair. I'll, I'll, yeah, <laughs> Nympha is, is so disgruntled she's silenced, which is how disgruntled she is. I just, I just, I, yeah. maybe Kobo could I have... offer to to have some of their some of their e-readers in in the Amazon stores. Uh huh, uh huh. No, <laughs> just no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm lacking words. This is this is not common. Um, Shall we get on to the other big news? Yeah, big news. Uh, Harry Potter play script to be published by Little. I just say print, printing a script is not huge news it happens all nah, the time no, no. I've got about three dozen of the things on my I, do, I didn't think it was a new thing it's, it's just not exciting all, because no, it's, it's something it's new Jacob, in, it's in Harry Potter yes it's, it's the next Harry Potter book this, this is the thing even though it's actually just a play uh, and it's just a play he said dismissively it's not yeah, of course it's, it's, it's a play uh, even, <laughs> even though even though it's I'm going to throw this violence and bucket your, your head yes violence has ensued producer in the studio producer Al the theatre creative has just come at me with the Star Wars colouring in book which I, which I feel is you know I'm going to open it to a lightsaber page just to, just to maybe <laughs> well, give you half I'll, I'll give you the sound it's It'll long long and thin and it would actually give me a nasty paper cut so I, I'm backing away carefully no obviously it's compared to the other books it's not a novel it's a script uh, but I do, I do know they're, they're milking that cash cow by having at least two different versions of it and yeah. charging 20 quid Does for half different back. covers yes <laughs> <laughs> The first edition will be a special rehearsal version, um, the, the definitive collector's edition to be released later in the year, which will probably have photos from the actual performance of the show, yeah. probably some reviews, oh. and probably some dramaturg oh stuff. My, oh my god, my, my, my bibliophile, my genuine bibliophile part, uh, the part of me that wears white gloves and carefully picks up pages and understands acidity, wonders, wonders about the script that the actors have had, wonders about the, 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 the actors for the play. Mm. I wonder how they've been put together and I wonder in five years time how much they will go for if it's anything like TV script and it probably is they'll all have their individual names watermarked yes. on each page yes but once the play's been produced yeah it's still their property isn't it they can <laughs> it, it very much I think depends on the type of contract they've signed mm. because if what they've signed tells you that any and all material is copyrighted and the, the property of the property of mm-hmm. uh, and you sell that manuscript with your name they can trace you back but you can always you know once the play's been produced and once it's been finished you can always just turn around and go well, well oops uh, and it, so I, I, I wouldn't begrudge personally I wouldn't begrudge an actor five years on after the production selling their script book. it's it's dubious but mm. I think I think probably the way you would uh, I suspect the way that w- what will actually happen is in a couple of years time or maybe just 18 months in time or maybe just shortly after the play uh, GK Rowling's own personal version of the script will be available for auction for mm. charity X or Y yeah because oh, yeah. the thing Which about brilliant, the thing know. about an actor's version of the script is it will have all sorts of stuff on it that's what you want and but it will have but it will have everything from you know move down stage center right to you know pick up coffee cup to emote to 
to cry to um you know notes about what they're thinking and feeling to possibly stuff about lighting and costume and, and acts and whatever moved as well and yeah. see i i mean I'm, I'm wondering how long it will be before but it will the... also have coffee and jam because actors <laughs> Um, yes. Uh, how long it will be before an actual novelisation of the play comes out? Because let's face it, we all know. It oh, happens. I'll go back for that question. But there's a question: Is it on Samuel French already? Probably not. Do you think but it will be? It, it might be. We can we can discuss that at the end. Shall which, we? Yeah. And we'll explain to the, the listeners what Samuel French. Because we are technically over time. Um, shall we? And sh- we always. Yes. I, I think I think I should review a book. Ooh, it's good. Balder, book one, The Guns of Ivria, Clifford Beale. Um, it's on Solaris. It's Pirate Adventures. Ooh. Um, I like Pirate Adventures. So, um, this is a book with lots of moving parts. Um, in the sense that it's an ensemble cast. Um, let's start with what the world is. So, this is a Renaissance-style Europe. Specifically, it's a Renaissance um, Mediterranean Europe. Okay. So you've got lots of little city-states. Yeah. uh, All of their own arrangements. Very Venice. Very Venice. Essentially, what we've got is, rather than having um, an actual defensive fleet, you've got privateers. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Niccolo Danimus, Captain the Dashing Captain Danimus, is Admiral of what is essentially a pirate fleet. Okay. Um, so he has a bunch of pirate ships, and they wander around, and they they pretty much exist to stop other pirates from pirating. So you, you, you he's know, a mercenary. He's, he's less. You know, he's he's a formal admiral, so he's recognised. Oh, he's recognised by um, some local city states and one of the local the the, the king and this kind of local the local politics. Uh-huh. But he's essentially a mercenary. He's essentially a he's a he's a privateer. He's a licensed pirate uh, he inherited this from his father his father went off to distant lands to find treasure and then vanished uh, and so he's inherited the role of the admirals not everyone in his fleet respects him what makes matters worse is that what he's doing and this is how the book pretty much starts is he goes out to a specific place uh, it's a very very large spiky rock uh, and then the mere people turn up Mm. And he swaps leaf, these, these kind of special drugs that he's that he can get on the land. He gives them to the, the, the mayor people, and the mayor people give him sunken treasure. And that's how he's been funding himself for a while. The problem is, is that the the the, the current faith that everyone has, the the, the faith in the, this one prophet, says that mayor people aren't aren't really people. 
You should ignore mere people. Mm. Meanwhile, a monk called Aquel, former thief and now uh, and now a monk. Oh God, no! He's called Aquel. He's called Aquel. No. Okay. Uh, this monk called Aquel. Uh, uh, okay, this so is completely off topic, but if you've ever watched Beverly Hills Cop, there's the bit in the art gallery where he goes in, and he obviously Eddie Murphy's name is Axel. Oh, I see. And 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 there's the guy in there that can't quite pronounce it and calls him Aquel. Anyway, Aquel Galinas, uh, former thief, uh, and now he's a monk. Um, he's sent down to the catacombs because the the, the prophet himself. Um, his tomb has been disturbed by an earthquake. Unfortunately, he Was it sees. Cthulhu? Yeah, well, technicals are involved. He sees the corpse of the prophet. Uh, the corpse of the prophet is unexpected. It's a mer person. Points to Ninfern. Yay! Um, Oh noes, he says. Oh noes, he suddenly realises as all his friends will start mysteriously dying. Oh dear, he thinks. The church are after me. And he pegs it. Um, Does he end up on the dashing captain's ship? Oddly enough. <laughs> he, 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 it's he, like I see these things He coming. runs straight into a mercenary captain first. Mm -hmm. The dashing captain's striker. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the mercenary captain happens to be friends with the pirate captain. Uh -huh. Wackiness ensues. Um, we also eventually have a mermaid character who turns up as well and becomes do. becomes part of the team. Yep. Um, what this is, as you might be able to guess, is just rollicking pirate adventures. We had a load of these when Pirates of the Caribbean came out. We had a load of kind of piratey, jolly, jolly kind of Johnny Rogers style stuff with lots of Captain Jacks. This isn't that sort of nonsense. This is much more grounded in that kind of Renaissance style parody style swashbuckling you know you've got you've got your god going on there you've got your church and state nonsense going on you've got your little separate city states that are trying to beat each other up and all at the same time you've got fantasy monsters that are turning up you've got paganism and devilry you've got all sorts of you all sorts of like you know evil bad guys and good guys and stuff going on um did I enjoy it? Yes. I, I kind of found it slightly annoying that the um, the pagan gods were evil, but whatever. It's that sort of idiom. And is it's it that book sort of one? It is book one. Um, I was also slightly irritated that every single female character is beautiful and is described by their beauty rather than their competence <sighs> at first blush. However... I then kind of quickly flip through to all the male characters and every single male character is like you know has abs going out to here and the, a dashing so the, the men are all dashing and the women are all oh, beautiful, beautiful which kind of you know at least it's, it's equal, equal yeah. it's, it's the paradigm of this setting though it's that sort of a world everybody's just really perfectly uh, everyone everyone is cinematic mm -hmm. uh, except for obviously the villains who have some sort of obvious physical flaw <laughs> because that's what they're supposed to have so, do you think this is a setup for Hollywood? Please look at me. No, I don't think so. Um, I, I think it's more. I think it's more just cracking. 
I tell you what I'd compare it to. Mm. I'd compare it to early Michael Moorcock in the sense that it's just flat-out straightforward fun adventure. Uh, it reminds me in some places of The Warhound and the World's Pain by Michael Moorcock. Now, there's that's one of my favourite... Um, Warhound and World's Pain is a bit more philosophical, a bit more involved, but that kind of, you know, high-speed, high-paced, dashing mm. adventure, um, you know, your hours going off, swashes being buckled that sort of thing <laughs> okay uh, the, the the technology the technology level is canon rather than muskets mm. um so you've got all the piracy without quite the the, the guns of you themselves are particularly good guns well-made guns shall we say so it's that that tech level is slightly slightly behind what you'd expect in Pirate Adventures, but not not by that much. Um, there is a touch of magic and sorcery. Mm. Um, uh, there yeah, there's no folk, so... The, 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 there's all sorts of fantasy creatures and, and nonsense. It dips into horror a couple of times. There's a couple of scenes that I was sitting there going, uh, this is icky and could be better written. Um, or, you know, less tropey. All right. If so, I, mean, I was just like, oh, of course this character is going to be evil because they're doing this. Oh, of course. Oh, well. I quite liked it. I quite had a lot of fun. It's if you, it's one of those ones that if you, if, you know, if I suddenly put on my kind of context hat and start examining it too much, it will fall apart. Yeah. Um, so don't do that. But if you fancy, like, a little action romp, then that sounds... If you right. like... If you like dashing sailors leaping from one ship to another, if you like uh, a kind of you know a big voiced style bad guy going, "You finally, I hated your father and I hate you. Prepare to die." Ching ching. Then my name is Diego Montoya. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. You know, to die. You know, if if you want the scene where someone gets a you know a, a blast to the shoulder and they're, they're being cradled in someone else's arms and all this yeah. and there's weeping and there's that's you know, all in there. None of this is stored spoilers because that's all of what you expect from this sort of thing it delivers it in spades looking forward to the next one um i wouldn't agree with the back where it says patrick o'brien meets george over martin no <laughs> patrick o'brien meets michael moorcock by way of clifford beale who is very much his own person and does very good historical fantasy and you should read gideon's angel if you've not read it mm-hmm. um great fun i enjoyed it i Lovely. F- think we need to move on lovely and brilliant chat um, with J.R. Hamateshkin 
um, who is a horror author. He's a writer of all sorts of scary short stories. Um, we rather liked it at Starburst magazine. Um, so we caught up with him to have a conversation about his latest collection of short stories with a voice that is often still confused but is becoming ever louder and clearer. This is Fab Radio International. 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 J.R. Hammerstaschen, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you for having me. So, what can you tell us about with a voice that is... I'll say again. What can you tell us about with a voice that is often still confused, but is becoming ever louder and clearer? Um, Well, it's my second collection of stories. It's nine stories. Uh, the first collection is called You Shall Never Know Security, and this collection is a little, um, nine stories. They're normally, neve- they're a lot longer than the first collection. Um, some people say it's very dark. Uh, I feel like a lot of the stories involve late 20s, early 30s people in urban settings who are, are dealing with some kind of malaise and th- some kind of supernatural intrusion on an otherwise ordinary normal life. Um, yeah, I mean, it does feel. Of, sorry, I'm not good at selling my own stuff. Obviously, it does feel like all the characters are looking for something. Um, is is that something that intrigues you? The kind of uh, people's quest for self. Um. Well, the stories actually, like most stories I write, are based off some kind of like. I don't want to sound super pretentious and say some philosophical inquiry. I was thinking about. But kind of like the first story in the collection, um, a lot of the story titles are so long and complicated I can't even remember them myself. Uh, but the first story in the collection, uh, the idea of it came to me, you know, people always talk about whether life is worth living, and I always thought, well, it's kind of hard to know whether that's true or not unless you know what the experience of dying is like, you know? Um, and that kind of idea of not knowing what it's like to experience death was kind of the basis for the fact that kind of stuff like that. Uh, is kind of where the ideas for a lot of the stories came from before the philosophical inquiries about the individual characters themselves. Yeah, if is, that answers the question. Probably not. But is all horror about our relationship with death, or is there something else that makes us scared? Um, I feel like it'd have to be something else because, I mean, personally, I don't find death scary at all. Um, I find like horrible suffering and the. Uh, succumbing to like terminal illness leading up to death to be horrifying but not like the prospect of death itself i don't find that horrifying um you know i I think there are a lot of other things you know like the vast ceaseless cosmos and our place you know our relative tiny minuscule you know place in the cosmos could be terrifying people or just you know the fear of the unknown is terrifying there are a lot of things that are terrifying other than the fear of death you touch on um, Cthulhu, which is existential horror, in with a voice that is often still confused but is becoming ever louder and cl- clearer. Why do we keep going back to Cthulhu? And is the mythos an essentially American idea? Um, well, actually, like in the story that involves the mythos, uh, in my book is mocking it and making fun of all a lot of the modern Lovecraftian stuff. Um, so I am not a, like I love H.P. Lovecraft and a lot of I lo- love a lot of the other offers that came after him. You know, people like Ted Klein, um, some of the more modern Lovecraftian people. But I personally, I feel like Lovecraft did a pretty fantastic job in sketching out his mythos and used his mythos more as a metaphor for you know mankind's place in the universe. And I'm really personally not too interested in the actual you know hierarchies of the monsters or anything like that. 
Um, so I feel like the Mythos stuff is stuff better left for other people. Uh, not something I'm particularly interested in, other than maybe taking the core of the idea and expanding upon it in my own ways. And as to whether it's an American thing, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there have been some like fantastic Mythos, Lovecraftian fiction from non-American authors. I mean, can't really think of any off the top of my head, but sure they exist. What is it with the very long titles? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, huh. Well, this particular title of the collection, I was reading a biography of Karl Marx's family. It's kind of a weird, a weird biography. Um, and this was just a letter from a letter he wrote about like the proletarian uprising, or like trying to get them to uprise or whatever. And I just kind of thought it caught my attention. It was actually the, also the title of the last story in the collection, um, which kind of involves somebody dealing with like an intru- like a kind of a little bit of a supernatural intrusion, but also kind of feeling accursed and like his extreme high anxiety. Um, but I don't. I never really liked when a, a the title of the collection is also the title of a story. Because I feel like it puts like an undue emphasis on that story as like the key to the collection, which I didn't really like. So I I swapped it out. But I don't know. There's not really any particular attraction I have to long story titles. I mean, I have other ones that are short, but no, I just try. I want them to be evocative and mysterious. Your writing style tends to be um, short, poetic bursts of ideas that you kind of you know, wrap ideas around those. Um, are you tied, therefore, to short stories, or are you going to attempt something longer? Well, I mean, realistically, because of my like hectic work schedule and debilitating anxiety and depression, I can only really set out to do short stories at a time before I completely crash and burn on a longer form. But uh, a lot of the stories here are like, I don't want to say short novels, they're not like novellas. So I I also feel like the novella length is more appropriate for sustaining a mood or an idea. I can't even think of any horror novels that I personally liked or have read. Um, I feel like, who is it, like Algernon Blackwood's definition of a, was it Mackin or Blackwood? Who wrote the Devil's Dictionary? I don't remember, but his definition Uh, of a, a novel is like, a short story padded, you know? I kind of feel like that's what a lot of horror novels are like. So I'm not really particularly interested in writing a novel, but um, kind of just going to be keep banging out the novellas, probably. What's your next project? Um, yeah, like, I'm working on a series of novellas. I have, like, I have several that didn't make the cut, I guess, for the second collection. Like, I didn't know what to do with. Um, so I'm kind of expanding on some of those and adding some others. And also, I know the world needs more podcasts, so an author friend of mine and I have started our own podcast, but none of the episodes are online yet. Uh, but we're working on that. We're probably going to do that once a week. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, um, what we're talking about, like, horror books, movies, video games, culture at large, stuff like that. But I guess... Uh, I'm just working on a series of novellas. Novellas, like I, I just reread, reread Ted Klein's uh, Dark Gods. Sad or not, but he only wrote he wrote one novel, The Ceremonies, and then Dark Gods, a collection of four novellas, and then kind of like scattered other stories and novellas. And he hasn't written anything of note from since like the '80s. So I feel like there's some kind of like tragic air about it, at least from a fan's perspective. That intriguing. If you could write like any other author, which author would it be? If you got to uh, play with someone else's franchise or write for uh, in someone else's world, what would be your world of choice? Um, I might pick. Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, fortunately, I could write, and like you know, anyone could take anyone else's stuff. I could just make some fan fiction. But uh, I don't really know who it would be. 
Um, huh. I don't have an answer to that question. It's fine. Um, sorry, so just give me a second. Um, if you had to save one book, you save one single book, and it will survive until the sun goes out, what book would that be? One book that I'd want everyone that I would never want to, you know, go out or go out of print or disappear. Um, does that have to be a book, or could it be like a short story? Um, I would say I really love the Whimper of Whip Dogs by Harlan Ellison. Uh, I don't know if that's gonna be my answer though. I feel like I would want to make my own collection of stories from like Lovecraft, Clive Barker, Harlan Ellison, Dennis Etcherson, Ted Klein. And then put that in my own little collection, and then that would be the book I'd want to preserve for all time. Um, like, like a Noah's Ark of, of really good horror. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I still feel like The Outsider has never lost its power for me. The Call of Cthulhu has never lost its power. Um, some more modern fiction, like, you know, The Whimper of Whip Dogs or Black Man with a Horn by Ted Klein, you know, hasn't lost its power for me. So... Or like The Stranger by Camus, or even Revolutionary Road, you know, that book that was turned into a subpar movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, that's a great book, you know. Um, so there's so many things that... Or The Setting Sun. I mean, it's a lot. I, I can't make that. Just, can't put the gun to my head now. You gotta give me an hour to think about it. Uh, but I would say whatever collection involves The Outsider and The Call of Cthulhu. We're, we're almost there. Um... With things like True Detectives being on television, is the more intellectual side of horror becoming more mainstream, do you think? Um, I mean, I don't know if maybe I'm mainstream. I, I'm trying to think who, what practitioner is becoming mainstream. Um, I think there are certainly more, it's much easier to get intelligent horror in your on your Kindle or on your, you know, I can't really think of any movie. But, you know, just like, like the boom of independent cinema or the availability of Netflix or the availability of Kindle, it is a lot easier to get access to intelligent horror, but I don't know if it's necessarily encroaching on the mainstream, like mainstream awareness. So I would say for the, it's a much easier world for the person in the know, but for, you know, Johnny Remote Flipper, I don't know if it's gotten any more uh, awareness from them. And three uh, very simple quick-fire questions. Uh, firstly, uh, Simpsons or Futurama? Oh, man, that's a good one. Uh, when you say Simpsons or Futurama, I have to take the Simpsons as a whole. I can't, like, cut it out before season nine. <laughs> oh, we've we've had people just specifically take one episode and say that that trumps fit Futurama, so it's up to you. So I'm going to say as, as, as the whole in terms of quality, I'm going to have to go with Futurama. But if I could... Take the Simpsons, and right after, oh man, what's that episode where Homer's coworker dies? He has a nickname for him. I can't remember the name of it. But uh, right after that episode, like so, season ten and onward from the Simpsons never existed. I'd go with the Simpsons, but as a whole, in terms of you know the consistent quality, I got to go with Futurama. So Futurama, final answer. Spiders or zombies? Uh, that I fear more, or would rather have as a pet. <laughs> Either. Um. Hmm. I kind of, uh, I, I don't really fear spiders, although that's coming from someone who hasn't really had a lot of face-to-face contact with spiders, like, who knows, the minute I come to face-to-face with one, maybe I'll be screaming and changing my answer, but, you know, in terms of zombies, kind of feel like 
the genre. I mean, I'm, zombies I'm not a big fan of unless they do something kind of unique with them. So I think I'm going to go, I prefer spiders. Uh, and finally, a truth or beauty? Mm, good one. I feel like young me would have said truth. And because current me is stubborn, I'll just go with truth as well. Uh, thank you very much for your time and thank you very much for coming on the bookworm. This is Fab Radio International. International. 4478. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. The Hand of Grog. Taking you on a fantastic voyage through the decades of progressive rock, psychedelia, fusion, and a whole host of other weird stuff. Every Saturday, 8 till 9 p.m., only on FabRadioInternational.com. This is Fab Radio International. International. Ninfa, you appear to have something truly outrageous for us. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Uh, yes, yes, I do. Um, so, um, in, in, in a twist of events, we're going from swashbuckling pirates and merfolk to German the holograms. Yeah, we have a theme, apparently. Well, we've gone from we've gone from pirates to I have a theme. Ho- the theme to existential is horror to German the holograms. Yes, we have a theme, and the theme is fabulous. Excellent. Uh, because I, we were just saying how everyone was just so pretty in your book. Indeed. And and actually, you know, a lot of German the holograms. Um, story revolves around fabulous fashion dear fabulous so for those of you who weren't born sort of late 70s early 80s what is the story about now um the story revolves around jerry cabanton who is um, a girl who's just lost her dad um, and he's left this beautiful legacy where he um, he was um, a fairly wealthy man, um, very clever man um, uh, and he um, he supported this um, foundation um, that helped um, young people um, get back on their feet so people that had lost their parents or people uh, that were sort of like stuck in the social system uh, and so, um, although Jerrica was, well, it is her, her, his daughter, um, his biological daughter, he's actually adopted a bunch of girls who are, uh, by all intents and purposes, Jerrica's sisters. Um, and one of the things that they do in this in this um, Starlight Foundation is um, they play music. Um, so Jerrica has a band, um, and 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 they're very good. Uh, unfortunately, there's there's, there's a bit of a problem because Jerrica is crippling shy she literally has the, the worst stage fright syndrome ever so that that's kind of a dampener in the whole thing because they're trying really hard to make it 
Um, and there's this contest going on, like the biggest band in the universe, the Misfits, are running a YouTube contest, whereas um, if you prove that your band, you know, it's fantastic, you can win the chance to actually perform against the Misfits in a live concert. And this could launch this band, you know, to, this, to the musical stratosphere. <laughs> But because of Jerrica's um, shyness, she can't even manage to sing in front of like a troop of people trying to record a video. And so this magnificent chance seems to be sort of slipping away and all of the girls are getting a little bit tired. They're not mean about it, but they are tired because, you know, they all have other interests and other things that they want to do, but they've poured all of their time into this this music group um, to help Jerrica and Kimber, um, who, who is sort of like the, the, the second in command and um, in, in the group. Um, and, you know, they're not getting anywhere. So, as I said, you know, Jerrica Stads died and she's a little bit obviously shaken about it and she's upset about not being able to, uh, you know, be um, this outgoing frontman that she needs to be for the group. Um, and so, after another failed trial trying to record this video, she runs away to the studio where that her dad had built them uh, and where she's not been for, like, since her dad died. Uh, and there's a storm brewing and it's all sort of very... Um, um, very dark and sad and you know she's there uh, with 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 her guitar singing her song and and the, the 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 electricity goes and then all of a sudden thunder and you know all of a sudden all this electricity comes back and the whole studio seems to sort of reset and there's this weird apparition of this fabulous looking almost alien like woman uh, going hi um i'm i'm you know your dad's gift and and obviously jerrica's like well, you, you the whatever what uh, turns out her dad being the clever and wealthy man that he was and knowing how crippling shy his daughter was and but how much she wanted to be a performer left built and left this supercomputer called synergy um who is and this this basically this computer can project any holographic image and make it look so real that nobody could tell the difference unless they went and sort of like messed about with it. So Jerrica discovers synergy and then she calls in her friends and she has the best idea. Like we can use Synergy to launch this group and I won't have to be shy because nobody will actually see me. They'll just see this projection of someone else that is more fabulous, more outgoing, uh, more confident than me and I can hide behind that and still sing the songs. And that's how Jam and the Holograms are born. So she projects this, this new her, this outgoing, flamboyant, super fashion model called Jem at front of the band. They record this fantastic video, uh, again using sort of all of the holographic projections and what do you know, overnight they become a new musical sensation. So that's the premise. Right. Um, is and it, it's exactly is it the same as it used to be in the fabulous 80s cartoon. Is it as fun as it sounds? It is a lot. You see, growing up when Gem and the Holograms came out, um, I can remember looking at it going, Hon, their enemies are the Misfits. To me, the Misfits is Glenn Danzig. 
So I'm like, no, that doesn't work. And then like no. you pick it up, and it's like, no, they're, they're nah. like they're just like a, a bunch of bad girls, aren't they? They are basically a bunch of bad girls. The beautiful thing about it is, I grew up with Jam and the Holograms and loved it. And yet, as a child, I did not see a lot of the plot that was there. Now, having read this, I sort of went back and went, was this in the original? Because I don't remember this being there. Uh, and one of the first things is there is a gay relationship with between one of the girls in Jam and the Holograms, Kimber. This is not a spoiler. It's in the original. It's been out for 30 years. If you don't know about it, suck it. Um, and one of the misfits, Stormer, who's the, the girl that basically the, the, the actual brains behind the operation, she's the one that writes all the music, all of the songs. Um, so is it, a, is it a Romeo and Juliet style? It, there is a, a little element of that, and it's completely and absolutely just, it's cute. I don't have any other way of saying it. It's really cute because obviously Kimber's got this sort of like uh, crush on this celebrity because obviously the misfits are big. Um, and she's got this crush on Stormer um, who, fantastically, is not, you know, tall and skinny and beautiful. She's a normal girl. She has a lot of curves. She's, you know, flamboyant. She's a bit punky grunge, really cool looking. Uh, and Kimber's totally crushing on this girl. And then she gets to meet her and she's totally flirting with her. And you can see straight away, like, there's obviously a connection there. And it's the cutest, like, su such a normal way of putting that relationship through. Does the new version feel 80s or does it? No. Um, it's It's very successfully brought into the, the the 21st century it literally you know you got uh, obviously youtube facebook all of the modern stuff even the fashion it's a bit retro but then again the 80s have sort of like made a big of a comeback um you know leggings and and big bright collars and and big hair and collared hair and you know fantastic makeup and not Ear cargo shoes. pants no not cargo pants um but yeah all of that feels incredibly fresh and uh, but yeah it's very faithful to the original it's idw which i, I really like idw mm. when they they take franchises and i think i've i might have gone on about this before maybe not uh they did teenage mutant ninja turtles mm. yes this That's is it. The they, they, they synthesized all of the all of the turtles stories because there's like when they when they were big they were big. Mm, oh and there yeah. was like kids versions and there was cartoon and there was a movie. Oh, and there I was loved everything. it. And what they sat down is they put all of these ideas in a big kind of melting pot and let the rubbish ones evaporate, dry away, and, 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 and then just fused so you have this wonderful moment where um, the reincarnated soul ancestral soul thing going on which is the plot of some of the other yeah. stories is happening so the uh, original shredder summons a demon and it's Krang <laughs> and you're like well he's an extra dimensional monster that makes sense yeah. and it, it, it all slots effortlessly so they've done the same sort of thing they where... have they really have I mean if I have one criticism is that perhaps some of the relationships sort of seem to be evolving quite fast however it's modern so it, it you know they are young it kind of yeah and they're all very young so like hormones are sort of running very very wild um but it doesn't detract from the fact that it's beautifully drawn it's gorgeous who are the writers who's the writers and who are the artists so um 
<coughs> Kelly Thompson's the, um, the writer. Right. Um, art is by Sophie Campbell, and the colours are, uh, are by um, M. Victoria Rabado. But I know that in the second uh, volume, uh, Emma Viacelli's collaborating as well, and I'm so looking forward to that because I love Emma's work. We should um, get her back on the show. We should totally, really, because she's yeah. been doing a lot of stuff, including Marvel bits um, that look to be incredibly interesting. Uh, the art is fabulous. The colouring is perfect. It's bright. It's fresh. It's modern. It's young. Literally, this is a really cute, fun, um, bubbly story. I'm just looking at the art now, and that reminds me, the art style reminds me of, it's manga-esque yes. uh, in, in places. Um, I kind of, I, I, do you know what I really want to see? I really want to see Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey have a go at Gem and the Holograms. Oh, that would the- be edgy. That would give it a really nice edge, actually. Um, some of the full page panels are just spectacular. I knew I knew who Kelly Thompson was. She uh, she also did Captain Marvel. Yes, yes. And the Cowl Corps. Yeah, she's um, she's, uh, she's fantastic. Um, the the dialogues are, are really good fun. So is does it cover the the concept of fraud policing? And do we have to explain what fraud policing is? Well, do we have to explain what fraud policing is? Well, we have four minutes of the show left. So if you okay, so fraud policing is where um, people tell you you can't do the cool, amazing thing that you're doing. Where you're spending, you, you say you're a writer and you're going out being a writer and people go, oh, but you have a proper job, you're not a real writer. Because you write fan fiction, you're not a real writer. Because it's, because it's fantasy, it's not a real writer, you're a real writer. Because it's tie-in fiction, you're not a real writer. Because, because, because you're not me, you're not a real writer. Because it's self-published, you're not a real writer. Uh-huh. Uh, and that sort of nonsense. It does it? It sounds like, but it's also it's also about fraud policing yourself, isn't it? For the fraud police is harsher on yourself than you are on anybody else. The lack of confidence mm. is there. Is there? There an is element? an element of that. Um, like obviously, Jericho's character is very much all about the self doubt. Um, but it's it's. I think I think the thing with Jam and the Holograms is it's a cute story. It doesn't take itself incredibly seriously, which is why it works. It's just a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, there are issues, and actually, in the original cartoon, some of the issues were quite big. And even though you didn't quite realise it when you were little, looking at it now, there's obviously a lot about relationship, about about growing up and being a young woman, and confusing thoughts. Obviously, there is there is um, a gay relationship in the book, which is fantastically written, really sweet. You just don't it, it doesn't great. There's not none of the sort of phony stuff in it it's just okay I like this girl I flirt with this girl it looks like she likes me back it just so happens that we can't go anywhere it's going to be awful because she you know she is in a band and I'm in a band question if I'm a 14 year old boy and I still have the I still have uh, the concept I'm still coming to terms with the concept of the patriarchy am I going to be fine to pick up Jim and the holograms and not worry about it I think so it's it's very much about you know I mean there is there are men in the story and they're not you know stupid or or uh, they're not a bit on the side just like the girls are and they're all 
very very much their own people they do their thing it's completely inclusive um it's the thing that always annoyed me about misty when misty came out back in the day back in the 70s and 80s mm. is that misty was taught, marketed at, at girls and it was the right place to market it yeah but i was you know it's i think it's the inklings of rebellion for me when i was like so i'm not supposed to read this really cool ho- horror comic because it's for girls only <laughs> well that's nonsense girls and boys should be allowed to read anything they want hang on and then i can remember trying to get my sister to read 2018 and it not going down well but that's a different concept. i mean i think i think that, and this is just my personal opinion um it's it yes it the protagonists are girls and and you know the 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 antagonists are girls but these are stories that it could be anyone you know if it had been a, a boy band it would have worked oh just god I've, I've just asked the what about the men's question i'm so sorry what about the men's question yes you have what about the men? Oh, what about those girlfriend bits? We should not be about us for four seconds. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's compared sorry. to Steven Universe, what's that? How oh, it's a kids' cartoon. Oh, see, I'm all, not all, familiar. All, all, all it's a kids' oh, cartoon where they're all fabulous. Everybody's fabulous. Everybody's Darling. fabulous, and with the exception of the one boy, it's an all female. It, it starts off as one thing for like the first four episodes, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. and by the time it gets to like episode fifty-two, you're just like, what? <laughs> okay. This has become something very different. No. Um, I think it's, it, I mean, it's a young adult uh, market, I think. But it doesn't mean that, you know, if you, like me, uh, were there in the 80s to see it, it's a wonderful throwback and it's really well written. It's bubbly, it's fun. Um, would a boy read it? It depends on the boy. But if you've got a clever boy at home that actually doesn't really care whether the protagonist is a girl or a boy and just enjoys a good fun story get it and if they like and if they like pop music definitely oh yeah absolutely you know if if they're going through the phase where in my time it was the backstreet boys uh, or take that and now it's one direction and all these people uh absolutely it's, so, so get it for the zane fan in your life well um it's really clever it's really positive in terms of body image in terms of uh, relationship approach um uh, it's got a bit of fun uh, a bit of naughtiness with the misfits it's beautifully drawn beautifully written just a lot of fun i honestly really recommend it and i can't wait for the second um so it's jamming the holograms showtime which is volume one uh, by thompson campbell and robardo and it's by idw and i think we're running out of show <sighs> boo my pirate ship and leave so it's goodbye from me and fortune <laughs> and goodbye from me and for Hayes The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes produced by Anne Davis